The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. There are certain things that just go together. Experiences, possessions, things that you might walk through where if you don't have the other part of the equation or what it's so often partnered with, what you do have is rendered useless. It was just a couple months ago when my wife Melanie and I went by Chick-fil-A. I was on the way home from work and I said, hey, I'll go pick something up on the way home so you don't have to cook tonight. And she said, that sounds great. Now, we do that from time to time because we're good Christians. We eat our Chick-fil-A, right? At least once a month as part of our tithe. No, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. All right. So I stopped by Chick-fil-A on the way home and pick up the usual, the Chick-fil-A sandwich, the fries, and I get home. But what I'm met with, to my surprise, isn't a happy wife. And she's pregnant at this time, and she's been having certain cravings. She looks at the bag, and she says, where's my Polynesian sauce? And I'm thinking, that's the first thing you looked for? But I asked her, like, okay, I'm so, you know what? Now that you mention it, I, I'm so sorry, I completely forgot. In fact, I would actually say it's Chick-fil-A's fault because they didn't ask what sauce I would like, okay? And we know they're supposed to do that. So, Melanie, I'm so sorry Chick-fil-A was not on its game today. And she's like, oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. No, it wasn't. <laughs> a couple hours later, she's super kind about it, but then I go to throw away the bag only to find a perfectly good full sleeve of fries in there. And they have gone cold. A horrible offense but I look to her, I'm like, hey, Melanie, aren't you going to eat the fries? And she says, no, I didn't have Polynesian sauce. Like, Melanie, it's just the sauce. Like, the fries are so good. She's like, no, it's just not the same. Now, this started a trend, unfortunately, where I consistently forgot to get the sauces. And so now it's a several texts when she sends me her order for Chick-fil-A with the sauces in all caps with a heart on it. Like, don't forget the sauces, Okay. Why do I bring that up? Well, it's a silly story, but it's a true concept where sometimes we experience things and we're like, man, it would be so much better if we had this. And we're actually going to be in a passage in James today where James talks about this concept and he actually takes it a step further where he says, hey, you have to have X and Y. And if you don't have both, if they're not coupled together, if they're not brought together, if you're not living both of these things out, then you really have nothing at all. Because individually, these two things don't do anything. But when you bring them together, you then become a Christian of robust faith. You then become a Christian who is living out their faith in a way that's honoring to God and bringing him glory. You are then exactly what God and who God has called you to be. Now, these two things, all right, I'm going to give it to you up front because I want us to all remember it. If there's one thing you remember from the sermon today, I want it to be this, that we are called to be hearers and doers of God's word both hearers and doers of God's word. And so it's so important that I want you guys to say it, all right? We are called first to be hearers and doers. All right, one more time. We are called to be hearers and 
Doers. Awesome. All right. We are called to be hearers and doers of God's word. And I'm trusting over at Cooper City, it was just as loud because that's who we are called to be. Hearers and doers of God's word. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and pull it out. We're going to be, again, in James chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 19. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. All right, pause right there, your attention for a moment. He begins by saying, know this. He's like, hey, lean in. This is important, my beloved brothers. He's saying, hey, I just want you to remember, I care for you. I love you. If you're like me and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I just want you to know that I, I care for you. I, I love you. You're immediately bracing for impact, right? Because you know he's about to say something that's serious. But he wants you to remember he loves you first because it's that serious and he's got to tell you. Know this. Let every person be slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to anger. Those three things. And what's interesting about those three is that if we were to think about it, all right, we assume they're struggling with this in James's time 2,000 years ago, but we could very easily sit here and, and, and probably all come to a place where we agree that we are still struggling with this today. That if we were to describe our culture, probably a fair assessment would be that we are quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. If we weren't quite sure, all we got to do is scroll down social media just for a few seconds, and it proves the point. Man, we are the opposite of that. We are so often quick to speak. We are so slow to listen, and we're so quick to anger. How does James know that we would still be struggling with this today? Well, it's because he knows that as we as humans... We as sinners, that's our natural bent. That's our natural predisposition. That's who we are. We are sinners and we naturally end up in this place where we are very quick to speak, very slow to listen, and very quick to anger. And so what he's saying is we got to go out of that. We gotta, I'm going to call you out of that. We got to be the opposite of how the world operates because that's who we are called to be as people who follow Jesus. And he expounds on this idea of anger. Why should we not be angry, angry all the time? Why should we be slow to anger? Because it does not produce the righteousness of God. He's saying, you're getting angry because you're not able to impose your beliefs or change people. And so you get angry about it. You get frustrated and you get more angry and it's not working. They're not changing. And he's saying, exactly. Man-made anger and frustration doesn't change the hearts of man. God's righteousness does. God does. And he, what he loves to do is work through us to change others. But our human anger never will do it. And you might be sitting there saying, man, like that's, that's a high calling. I mean, it sounds great on paper, and I would love for us as a church to, to operate that way. But how do we do it? So glad you asked. And James has an answer for us. Verse 21, he says it. Therefore, 
All right, whenever we see therefore in Scripture, we pause and we say, all right, what's the therefore, therefore? And what he's doing is he's connecting these two statements, all right? Verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Pause right there again, your attention for a moment. He's saying, guys, here's what you have to do. You've got to put away all the filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility and a humble posture, the implanted word of God because it's able to save your souls. Now you might stop and say, well, how do these two concepts connect? What, how are we gonna be people who are slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger? And then he's gonna go and talk about what we're receiving. Well, it's because James knows out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what you're inputting into your life determines greatly what you will output. I'll say that again. What you input into your life determines greatly what's going to come out of it. The first point I want you guys to hear today, if you're taking notes, jot this down. He says this, we are commanded to receive God's word. We are commanded to receive God's word. Melanie and I have been married for almost five years now, and I know we're veterans, okay? We've been married for a long time. It's been great, loved every minute of it. And when we first got married, it was about three to six months after when I started to realize a change in, in me physically. I was like, man, I, I feel like I have so much more energy. I feel happier. I don't feel so like droggy and sleepy all the time. Man, I just feel great. This must be love. <laughs> this is what it means to be married. I'm in love. And so I, know, I no longer am tired and droggy. No, I have so much energy. I'm so happy and I'm going about life. Man, love is amazing. And it was Melanie when she sat me down, she's like, hey, Josh, like, I don't doubt that you love me, okay? But could it be that your diet has changed? Now, Melanie's a great cook, and she tries to cook healthily, so certainly I was reaping the benefits of that, but then she got me thinking, what was my diet before we got married? If I were to describe it to you today, I probably could describe it as uh, anything that would fit in a toaster, right? Like, you got, there's so much you can do with a toaster. You can Pop-Tarts, Hot Pockets, okay? You got bagels and toast, of course. I had this amazing trick, all right? I'm just gonna let you guys know if you wanna go home and do it. You got a, you got a piece of bread, put some mayo and mustard, ham and cheese, anything else you got that's not expired in the fridge, throw another piece of bread on there and squeeze it together and slide it in the toaster. Boom, it's a panini press, <laughs> but it's a toaster. The one appliance I bought when I moved out and the one appliance I needed. And so that actually had a great effect on me, as you might imagine. When Melanie moved in, she had to scrub that toaster clean. She's like, what have you used this thing for? Yeah, I expect breadcrumbs in here, not what, cheese, ham, melted stuff. And that was a whole thing. Why do I bring that up? Well, because what was going into me physically determined what I experienced physically. You see, how I behaved, the physical diet that I, that I was partaking in determined a lot about what I experienced physically. 
And the same concept is true spiritually. That what your spiritual diet is and what your spiritual diet consists of, what you're receiving goes into your mind and goes into your heart and it determines a lot about what you experience spiritually. If I were to sum it up in one phrase, I would say what you fill yourself with determines the life you live. And what's interesting about the physical diet is that I wasn't necessarily eating poison, now was I? I mean, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but it wasn't straight up bad for me. It wasn't great, and there wasn't anything good mixed in with it, but it wasn't ideal. And so when I was three to six months later experiencing a huge change when my diet changed, I had no idea how to connect the dots. I didn't realize, I didn't even think about the fact that what I'm experiencing physically had a lot to do with what my physical diet was. Because what I was experiencing was a slow fade. And so when it finally started to get really bad, I had no idea where it was coming from. And the same, again, is true spiritually. We experience so much spiritually and we have no idea where it's coming from half the time. And we have no idea how to connect the dots back to what we've been inputting and receiving into our lives. We just live our lives and experience the consequences of what we've received and have no idea how to change things. And sometimes even get frustrated with God himself. And so what James is saying is, hey, guys, you got to get this. you got to know this. Put it all away. Put all the rampant wickedness and filthiness away. He's using active words to describe what we're called to do. Put it all away. He's almost, it's almost as though he's drawing a picture for us saying the, the rampant wickedness and the filthiness of our day and age is going to just naturally try to consume you. It's coming at you from all angles. And so you've got to be active and, and put it all away. And do what? Receive. Another active word. Receive with humility the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. Back in college, I went on a missions trip to Serbia. And it was interesting for many reasons and very impactful for me. But one of the places we were staying at was in the attic of a church. And the missionaries that were staying there kind of showed us the ropes, showed us around. And then one of the last things they said before they left is, hey, this is the bathroom. You have to go downstairs, exit outside, and then there's doors to the bathroom. So the bathrooms are outside. And they're like, hey, there's just one rule, okay, guys? I, I, like, I know rules are rules, and sometimes we just forget them, but just one rule around the bathroom, don't leave the bathroom door open. And then they left. Now, we're a bunch of college people. How many of you think we're going to actually listen to a rule as dumb as that, right? Like, pff, leave the bathroom door open. What's going to happen, you know? The, the house is going to fall down? No, it's fine. Now, I'm a bit of a rule follower, and I like to believe that rules are rules for a reason. And so I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make sure I close the bathroom, but we're not really worried about it. Sure enough, the next morning, I get up first because I was told, uh, the, if you're lucky, the first one, maybe two people will get a somewhat less than cold shower, all right? So I was like the first one up because anything below 95 degrees is freezing cold. And so I'm like, I'm gonna get every bit of warm water I possibly can because I, I, I want to shower. 
So I wake up, and sure enough, the bathroom door is wide open, and I go into the restroom, and I sit down to use the bathroom first. And I'm looking around, and right next to my foot crawls a spider the size of my wrist that I do not recognize. So my life begins to flash before my, lot, my eyes. I'm thinking, I'm dead, that's it. I'm, it's over, I don't know what that is, I'm gone. And I muster up every bit of courage and bravery in me and I t- lift up my shoe and I squash it, right? And then I start doing one of these, right? It's like, what's that, dance with a stanky leg, right? Like I just start doing that on top of it in victory as I'm dancing on its grave, I look and it's dust. And I'm celebrating, like, man, that was bold. I'm, I'm, man, that was awesome, because I don't like spiders, okay? And I'm like, man, oh, that was, okay, I got to get out of here, right? But then something tells me, look up. And I'm thinking, please, no. Straight out of a horror movie, I got to, all right, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look up, and I look up. And the best way I can describe the ceiling is that what was formerly white is now black and moving, All right, everything you could possibly imagine up there, spiders, cockroaches, centipedes, there were frogs, there were beetles. I mean, we're in Serbia, so use your imagination, okay? There are bugs and insects up there that I had no idea what they were, couldn't couldn't even describe them if I tried, okay? And so, of course, as a young man, I looked up there and said, all right, I got to get out of here. No, I think I screamed louder and at a higher pitch than my one-year-old daughter. All right, I got out of there so fast and did the mature thing and went and tricked some of the other guys to go into the bathroom that morning, okay? That, that's what, what I, I love to do. I love to prank people, all right? So then, well, this is the best part. We got to trace back who left the bathroom door open, and they had to go into the bathroom with a broom and sweep all of the insects off the ceiling and either kill them or get them out of there. We were all just laughing at them, the missionaries too, because this happened the last, with the last trip. And they're like, yeah, the guys, you, everyone leaves the bathroom door open on the first day. <laughs> they don't leave the bathroom door ever on the following days. Why do I share that with you? Well, because I, and I say this with all love, and I wrap myself into it too, because I recognize that this is a common struggle for me too, living in the culture and living in the day and age that we live in. But we so often leave the bathroom doors wide open to our minds and our hearts. And we say, hey, come on in. The water's great. Whatever you want to bring in, just just open it on up. And we, without wisdom, without a fervence to be aware and conscious of what we are allowing into our minds and our hearts, We just say anything and everything goes. Christian, who determines what you watch on TV? Is it you with prayerful and and, and biblical wisdom perspective? Do you carefully consider what it is you're about to take into your mind and your heart? Or do you just let Netflix do that for you? When you go to listen to music, knowing that the words that are sung to your ears have had a lasting impact because we, don't, we not only just listen to it, but we, we memorize it and we oftentimes even recite it and, it and it works back down into our hearts and even changes who we are. Or we, do we just go on Spotify and say, man, I wonder what everyone else is listening to. I'm sure that's great and clean. 
When you, t you open up the internet on your cell phone or your laptop, are you saying, man, what should I receive today? What should I read today? And how is this going to impact me? How is this going to change me? What kind of emotions will I get out of reading this or watching this? Do you carefully pray through and consider who you choose to do your life with, the people you surround yourself with? Or do you just say, all right, anyone that wants to speak into my life, come on in. I, I, I'm open for anything and everything. See, Jesus, he, he pursued and loved on and, ate and broke bread with the lost, but he did life with his disciples. Christian, are we so open-handed with our minds and our hearts that could it be our character is changing in a way that is not honoring to God and we don't even know it? And so he says, put away all of the filthiness and the rampant wickedness. And he says what? Receive with meekness the implanted word. See, we, we hear all about scripture in scripture. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he speaks specifically to this concept of that we renew our minds. We are transformed when we read his scriptures. And that when we put away all the filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive God's word, he's coming into our minds. He comes into that bathroom and bleaches it and cleans it all out for us. And when we see truth and it cleans up our minds and our hearts, we then begin to, be un to understand and have faith and believe in who he has called us to be. When we believe the truth and focus on the truth, we begin to see our identity. We get to begin to understand our purpose. We begin to understand our calling. Recognizing that we've been looking for those things all along in just all the wrong places. But then James continues with a warning. He says, don't stop there. But so often the Christian's mistake, whether you've been in the church for two weeks or 20 years, is we sometimes stop there, receiving God's word and saying, all right, that's it. I got it. Receiving God's word. I hear God's word. I'm here at church every Sunday. I'm here at a small group throughout the week. And man, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself. He continues in verse 22. He says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. You see, switching my diet was great, but it, I still had to exercise. When we first got married, reading books on how to be a good husband was very helpful, but it meant nothing if I didn't put it into practice. And so we as Christians, second point, if you're taking notes, write this down, are commanded to do God's word. We are commanded to do God's word. In fact, that's the second part of this equation. And he's saying here, not hearers only, and will continue to say, if you're just a hearer, then it's useless. You've only got one part of the equation, and it's rendered useless because you don't have the second part where you're called to not just hear, but also do. And then he gives us a warning at the end of there. What, was the last, what were the last two words in, that, words in that verse? Deceiving yourselves. Because he knows how common it is for us to say, all right, I'm, I feel good, and man, I'm just going to go about my life. I got my, I checked off the box, I went to church that week, and I feel really good. But he's saying, guys, we deceive ourselves. We have to live a life that's actively receiving God's word, 
letting it seep down into our hearts and let it change our character and our actions and who we are. We have to do it. We have to do God's word. He continues with an illustration in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Pause right there, your attention again for a moment. He's talking about this transition from hearing to doing God's word, and he compares God's word to a mirror. Probably one of the first things you did this morning when you woke up was you looked in a mirror. How do I know that? Well, because you guys all look amazing today. All right, and chances are you didn't wake up like this, contrary to some songs that we sing, all right? What happens is you wake up and you go and look in the mirror and you're like, man, wow, one night of sleep did this and the hair is a mess and you got maybe some leftover makeup on your face, not me, and maybe some beard hair is out of place, right? There's always something that's wrong. You got some stuff stuck in your teeth. You got bad breath. I mean, there's a lot of things to do and fix, right? For all being honest. And what you do is you go to work. You brush your hair, you wash your face, maybe you shower, you do everything before you go out in the public. And what James is saying here is when you open up God's word, it's like looking into a mirror. In fact, we could, we could also put it in our context right here. When we're reading God's word and I'm talking about God's word, it's like that LED wall now is a giant mirror. And it reflects back to us. And most of the time, we don't like what we see. We open God's word and we're like, whoa, ooh, man, I really have fallen short of the glory of God. And you read more, you read further, you're like, man, I am a, a sinner. We look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and we recognize just how much we have truly fallen short. And what many people do is we go, and we put it away. Because it's too painful to look at. It hurts too much. It rubs up to what I want to believe and who I want to be so much. It just, I just can't. There's just so much friction there. I'm just going to, I got to put it away. I got I to gotta run away from it. Or, I'm, or maybe it's like, I hate that thing because of what it shows me and what it tells me I am. But if that same person would just read a little further, they would see and hear about a God who loves them so much, he sent his son down to die on the cross for their sins, all of their sins, past, present, and future, and so that they can stand on his grace that he has so freely given them, and he wants them to see just who they are in Jesus and that they have been truly changed through his grace and his sacrifice on the cross. And he wants them to keep reading and to see what he has planned for them now going forward, to read of his promises, to hear that they are now sons and daughters of God. They are now heirs to the kingdom, that he intends on using them, and, and he intends on telling them and showing them exactly who they are and who he created them to be. And they begin to understand and see and feel their identity and purpose and calling in Jesus. 
He wants them to keep reading and see that there's a beautiful story playing out through all of Scripture, one that he seeks to mirror in ours as well. A story of redemption. A story where it shows God's hand on everything. He just wants us to keep reading. And he acknowledges that it's tricky. He acknowledges that it's difficult. The word he used there for the person who is doing God's word is the person who has to persevere. Persevere. Why would he use that word if it were easy? He's saying, guys, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but you have got to persevere. And he promises us what? If you are persevering and being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Point number three, the, the, the final point. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Those who do God's word will be blessed. He's promising us that he's got his hand over our lives. And he's saying, guys, if you just persevere, if you just work at this, you will be blessed in all you're doing. And what you'll do is you'll wake up and look at the mirror and say, all right, God, let's go to work today. This one's going to be a rough one. And then he shows up and blesses you and brings such joy and peace in your life. And unlike an earthly physical mirror where he seeks to work on our, our where we seek to work on the cosmetic look of it, now God goes to the work on our hearts and changes who we are from the inside out. In fact, if we were to sum up a lot of what James is saying here is while the world will feed your flesh and lead to death, the word will feed your soul and lead to life. He continues because, again, we mentioned it at the beginning, if we are both a hearer and doer of God's word, then there starts to be an inward change that comes out of us naturally. And he describes a few of these things here in verse 26. He says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's saying if we're going to be people of robust faith, if we're going to be true Christians, then we are going to be both hearers and doers of God's word. And this is what it's going to look like. And verse 26, that's basically verse 19 repeated. We're going to be people that are slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger because we're a people that's bridling our tongues, seeking to control our tongues and seeking a change in our heart because it'll change our tongue. Why does he bring that up and why do those two mesh? Well, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we don't realize and oftentimes forget is when we're receiving things that are our filthiness or the rampant wickedness that go into our minds, it works its way into our hearts and then out of our hearts, the mouth speaks and it just comes out. To the point where sometimes we look at ourselves and we're like, man, whoa, did I just say that? Did I just think that? Man, I got, there's sin in there. 
But what God seeks to do is to change that process and say, hey, receive my word, the implanted word. It'll save your soul. It'll change your heart. And as I work on your character and work on your heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks and things begin to change. And you begin to speak life into people. And you become a person who is slow to speak and just quick to listen and slow to anger. And so here in these final two verses, he gives us three simple things that show as when we are as Christians are seeking to receive and do God's word. The first one is that we are someone who seeks to bridle our tongue. Why is that so important? Well, because what comes out of your mouth is an indicator as to what's in your heart. And if what's coming out of your heart through your mouth is rampant wickedness and filthiness, well, then now you don't look any different from the world, do you? If we're called to be salt on the earth and light in a place of darkness in a city on a hill, how can we do that if we look just like the world? We're called to be different. There's called to be a difference in us. A difference that makes an impact, that changes the people around us because it's, it's so otherworldly, but they look at that and they say, man, how do I be that way? How do I experience that peace? How do I experience that joy? What they have, I so desperately need. He continues, he gives us a second mark of a Christian who is seeking to be a hearer and doer of God's word. He says, someone that is visiting orphans and widows of their affliction. So what he's saying is, we need to be someone who shows mercy and love for the oppressed, and specifically the widows and the orphans. When God holds up that mirror and he starts working on our hearts, sometimes it's painful, but he begins to impart his heart into ours. You see, we read scripture and we love Romans 8.28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that's such a true and powerful promise of God. And it's one that we grip to and hold on to and so, so often in times of struggle and in times of need. But what we forget is the verse right after in verse 29, where he says why he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says it's in order to conform us into the image of his son. He's seeking and actively working to change us and, and make us more like Jesus. And so we become people who care for the lost, people who love the widows and orphans of our day and age. And lastly, we seek to remain unstained from the world. We're not perfect. We never will be, not until we reach heaven one day with Jesus but we're seeking to remain unstained from the world. We're seeking to live in the world, but not of the world. And so therefore we are very careful and conscious and mindful of the things that we receive into our minds, into our hearts, knowing that they truly do have an impact and affect us. And so we seek to change what's being input into our lives to God's word. So that way what outputs of our lives is a loving person who seeks to honor Jesus and bring him glory in everything that we do. And so how do we do what we've talked about today? How do we walk out of here and say, all right, I've heard the word, now I'm going to go and do God's word. Well, I want to divide up the application today into two different parts and challenge all of you in both areas. I want to challenge you all to be, you guessed it, a hearer and doer of God's word. 
to be both a hearer and doer of God's word, knowing that you can't just be one, you can't just pursue one, you've got to have both, or individually they're rendered useless. And so first, I want to challenge you to be a hearer of God's word. What does that look like? Well, prioritize ways in your life in which you can hear God's word. Prioritize them. In our day and age, we love to be busy. But what I've found in a lot of conversations is oftentimes we're not too busy, we just have misarranged priorities. And that our priorities are what needs to be addressed. And if we are, in fact, too busy for God's word, then we are too busy. And so I'd encourage you, I want to challenge you all to, to, to find ways, prioritize ways in which you can receive God's word. And that looks like a daily rhythm. And depending on where you're at, it could look differently for all of you. Maybe it's opening up the Bible app and reading the verse of the day. You're like, man, that's good. All right, I'm going I'm to munch on that and, and process that and think through that for the rest of the, the day. Because in Psalms, we see David challenges us to, to meditate on God's word day and night. That looks like us reading and then just thinking and processing it throughout the day. Maybe for you, it's like you're clicking the verse of the day and you're reading that whole chapter. Or you're reading that whole chapter and you're writing down some notes. Or you're reading that whole chapter and you're doing a whole soap study. Or you're reading that whole chapter and you're doing an inductive study. Whatever it looks like for you, it's different for everyone, but find ways to prioritize reading God's word. And secondly, be here on Sundays. These aren't just incredible opportunities for us to, to be the church and be the body of Christ and to exhort one another and to do life one another and to meet who we are a part of the same church with, but it's also an incredible opportunity to receive God's word. You see, the average Christian attends church once, maybe twice a month, and yet we'll watch 10 hours of Netflix a week. Our priorities are out of whack, and we're paying the consequences of it. It's starting to show. It's time we reorient it and prioritize ways in which we are receiving and hearing God's word. And secondly, I want to challenge you to be a doer of God's word. A perfect example of this is baptism. What beautiful picture of doing God's word. Because he says, hey, those who believe, repent and be baptized. It's one of the first commandments of us as believers. And so if you're in this room, if you've put your faith in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, today's the day. Let's go right across the street. We've got everything for you. We can baptize you then and there. Maybe it's, man, I've, I really do need to start reading God's word. And through that, I know I'll, I'll, I'll see and hear what God wants me to do from here. But when you receive God's word, you are then liable to what you have received, and God is waiting and watching and hoping you will then go and do it. And so what does that look like for you? Maybe it's, man, I, I need to start praying. I need, a, I need a, a, a discipline of prayer. I need a discipline for reading my scriptures, or I, or I want to start talking about my faith more with my coworkers or my, my neighbors, or man, I want to invite someone to church, and it's been a struggle for me, but I know that that's what I'm called to do. I'm called to invite people to come and see. I want to, I want to invite and, and evangelize the people, the lost people I know that are in my life. Maybe it's, man, I don't know how to do a Bible study, but I really want to learn, and I'm going to invite some of my close friends, neighbors, coworkers to, to join, because I just want to start studying the Bible, not because I know what I'm doing, because I want to just learn with them and start studying God's word. What is it that he has called you to do? Church, what is your next step? 
That's discipleship in a nutshell, is it not? Knowing where you're at and what your next step is. And what would City Rev look like if we were to all strive to be hearers and doers of God's word? What would we look like? How would we be different? Well, we wouldn't be a place of perfect people, but we would be a place of people actively seeking to hear God's word at every moment, a people that's seeking to do God's word to the best of our ability as we grow. We'd be a people committed to following and living like Jesus, not just hearing about him. And consequently, we would begin to change. Our lives would begin to change. Our hearts would begin to change because we're seeking to hear and do God's word. So that means our workplaces would start to change. And our workplaces would be filled with people who are seeking to just listen to those around them rather than speak. It'd be a place of love rather than anger. And consequently, through our church and our workplaces and our, and our homes changing for the better, you'd start to see our city changed. You'd start to see Jesus showing up in our city through his church. You would start to see the widows and the orphans cared for. And that we are leading the charge in that, making sure, seeing to it that they are. We'd be a church committed to being like Christ, not just hearing about him. And we would be a church that would, in fact, see South Florida transformed by the gospel in our generation. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how blunt and forward it is at certain places, Lord. We love how bold your word is. And Father, we pray, we ask for the strength that it takes and the strength that we need to truly go and live out what you have called us to do, to receive God's word in a world of filthiness and wickedness, to see to it that we prioritize ways we can receive your word and that, Lord, we would go, in fact, not do nothing with it, but go and live it out to be doers of your word and not just hearers only, knowing that there's so much more that we have been called to than to just sit in the church pews and just hear your word, but to go into our city and live it out, to do who you have called us to be, to be who you have called us to be, to do the work that you have showed us. Lord, that we would be a place of people that just seek to do that. And that when we fall short and when we make mistakes, we're reminded that we are standing on your grace. We're standing on who you have told us we are in Jesus. And that, Lord, we truly do have strength and courage found in your spirit to not just live in this way as a hearer and doer of your word, but that, Lord, we have the strength and the courage to go out into our city and be the people that you have called us to be, to be your hands and feet, to be like Jesus. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to end our time together in a song of worship. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.